We're going to talk about my last trip in Colombia where I went to meet some shamans in Ciudad Perdida. And thank you for being here, Dad. We're in the mountains in Switzerland. We're in the Alps where we used to come for winter holidays when I was younger. Where we used to come for skiing and drink hot chocolate and eat fondue. <laughs> and today we're here to do a podcast about a trip to Colombia where my father did not come. Although I did a lot of travels with him. And so before we start, I would like to ask you, Dad, would you have liked doing this trip with me or alone and why? Thank you. You did one of those trips which I always dreamed to do. I think I crossed Colombia north to south, east to west. I went to most of the places in that beautiful country and probably one of the very few places I never managed to go was Ciudad Perdida. Because at that time, it was just impossible to go there. It was considered as completely infested by the guerrilla mm. and by the narco-traffic. Yeah. And the combined presence of drug traffickers and the guerrilla made it a place where you could not go. And I always hoped one day to be there. So you decided to go there. I'm very happy that you did it because you managed to do the dream trip. Why is that place so extraordinary? Uh, first, it's a mountain, uh, something like 5,000 meters high, just on the side of the Caribbean Sea. So can you imagine a mountain which starts with jungles at the bottom and eternal snows at the peak and somewhere? I mean, it makes me think of the trip we did together in Nepal because when we, do, when we were doing the Annapurna circuit, the it's same. exactly the same. At first it's jungles and then the higher you get, the more arid it gets. And then you just go to this place where there's no vegetation. It's almost like a lunar landscape. It's empty and it's just a void. Exactly. Or Kilimanjaro would be another one. So I think those places of extreme contrasts from luxurious vegetation to the aridity and the snow peaks, it's fantastic. That per se is magical. And then you had in that place one of the old tribes, the Taironas, which were famous because they left a lot of golden jewels. It's a, a culture, like many Latin American cultures, which were pre-Incaic, because the Incas came only at the end, just before the Spanish conquest. So it's a very old tradition. And that tradition disappeared, a bit like the Mayas. And then there was nothing, and it was rediscovered. So you had a chance to be there. And when it was rediscovered, you had those shamanic tribes with their beliefs, their holistic understanding of the life. And you had a chance to be with them. My 
my question to you would be how did you get the trust how did you manage to establish the contact so that they tell you openly what they really feel they probably accustomed to see so many tourists uh, the tourists they see them as strangers as people who don't respect their places as people who don't understand the culture and as people who lack respect towards them and the value system how did you manage to get the trust from them I mean, I think that I managed to get their trust, but only to a certain extent, because I could feel, and that is something that I had very clear when I went to the Buddhist monastery in Taiwan. These religions, they come from very ancestral lineages, and you need to deserve their teachings, you need to deserve their trust, and it's not by just coming for a week that they will give you away their treasures, because they're... They take care of them. They need to protect them. Just as in, for example, in Tibetan Buddhism, you have to spend 10 years doing little tasks in the monastery before you're even allowed to read one specific book. You need to spend a long time in a place to show that you're very dedicated and that you really want to gain that knowledge and enter this new realm. So I know that I didn't gain their trust completely, but I did to a certain extent. And the way I did it is I went through the Colombian Institute of Anthropology and History. Um, thanks to my mom, we had contacts with them. And I said that I was doing an anthropologic, anthropological work and that I wanted to go to Ciudad Perdida to meet the shamans and film them so then I could do a form of small documentary. And um, so they saw that I was interested in them. But the reason why... I was really a lot to go there is because the shamans were doing some ayahuasca ceremonies and they were talking about all these issues they have with exactly what you just mentioned tourists not respecting them um they don't get the respect and recognition they deserve from the government because they only come and shake hands take a picture and they're like yes we will help you but in the end they don't do anything And also the fact that they don't receive all the money they deserve from NGOs because of corruption. Like in any country in the world, the same thing repeats itself. And so they were discussing all these issues and there was a bird that told them that I was the right person to come and meet them. And it's thanks to a bird that I was allowed to go there and it's thanks to a bird that I gained their trust to a certain extent. So when the shaman told me that the first night when he came to to meet us, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> a bird said that I could come? And I was like, is this a movie? What reality am I living in? It was It was a really nice experience to live, though, because, you know, you just, when you enter that place, you just enter in these very altered states of consciousness, and it's just like a completely different world. And that's also why I went there, because... I love that. <laughs> I hope that the same bird will accompany you in your next trips so <laughs> that you can get that level of trust. Uh, you said Tibetan Buddhism, 10 years, uh, reading and looking again and again at the same tanka 100,000 times to get inspired by each details of it. Now, you spent hardly a week in Ciudad Perdida so to 
be able to have a contact not only intellectually but more heart to heart mm-hmm. uh, implies that he felt something in you maybe that's yeah. what the bird meant um you know i think that something before going there i was very it was very clear in my mind that i would not arrive and just show up with my camera and my microphone and you know start filming them as if they were some form of little animals or you know that's what tourists do and that is something that i think is also a lack of respect towards their culture and their community when people are going through their villages they just take out their phones and start photographing them and something i did was at first establishing a contact you know hanging out talking asking them to show me some things and you know you you establish the trust before you start recording you cannot just arrive and start filming it's not okay and another thing that the shaman noticed and he said well done is that i was wearing all white during my whole trip I was wearing uh, a full white outfit which turned out to be brown at the end because I was full of mud and dirt but the shaman really appreciated that because it's a form of respect of understanding of what their traditions are and white symbolizes purity and since we were going to this very sacred place it was important to wear a sacred color as well Now a delicate question you know sometimes where tribal chiefs of indigenous groups come to the UN and make a speech they would speak about biodiversity or any words in ism mm-hmm. and it doesn't sound so natural it's mm-hmm. like they have learned their lesson and they say what is politically correct mm-hmm. to say When you dive and you see coral in the sea it's so beautiful with the colors and everything when you take the coral out of the sea it becomes white and it stinks mm-hmm. the question is very difficult do you believe that people you met there if you would taken them out of the context mm-hmm. out of the place where they mm-hmm. are would they still be able to deliver the same level of vibrations in their message mm-hmm. or and i don't want to put you in a situation is let's say for your modesty difficult to answer or do they need a translator or somebody who carry the messages somebody who goes there mm-hmm. see them in their own environment mm-hmm. and can carry the message further or translate <coughs> it to the western world. Well, I honestly think there is such a huge difference between their world and our world in the same way as when I was living in Taiwan. The mom of my best friend, she she told me that no matter how long I would stay in Taiwan, no matter how many Taiwanese people I meet, no matter how much Chinese I speak, I will never be able to fully understand what Chinese culture is like and I will never fully be able to grasp what they are what they believe what they feel because I was grown up and raised in a totally different world and I believe that for indigenous people when they try to connect with the western world and I've seen that when I lived in Australia as well um we see that in the Amazon in Colombia and you've seen that in Africa too 
it's just really difficult to speak when your language I'm not saying the language um like French, Spanish, English per se, but the language of life they speak is just so different that it's hard to have a form of communication. Nevertheless, I do believe that some people can do, as you say, the translator, but to be a translator, you need to really know what you're talking about. You really, you need to really study that field and you need to really integrate with those people and live with them and Try to understand them not only on a historical, anthropological, intellectual, academical way, but also in a human way, you know, with the emotions. And you need to have a high um, intelligence emotionnelle. Emotional intelligence. Yeah. You need to have and a, empathy. Yeah. You need to have high empathy and emotional intelligence to be that translator because you're not just talking to facts, it's people. And so to answer your question, I think it is really hard. But for example, I met a shaman and during this trip that I think would be the perfect translator. So his name was Fabian and he came from the Amazon. He grew up in the Amazon, but then he left and went to the city. I think he went to Bogota and he went to university to study sociology. And this shaman, I have never or hardly ever met someone that was so precise in what he was saying and his rhetoric was so good he's the one I was telling you he was speaking with all his body all his energy he speaks three languages and he's a shaman and he lives today with El Mamo in Ciudad Perdida and he goes to Santa Marta and you know he has one feet one foot in both worlds and he would be a perfect translator for that because he's a shaman he has grown up in the amazon but he went to university and he understands what the western world is it's interesting because he can be one of those translators coming from there and being able to understand our world or it can be also somebody like you going there trying to understand maybe 80 90 percent mm -hmm. of their reality and conveying it further mm -hmm. to the Western community. How do you manage to be open-minded, absorbing without any filter their message, their reality? And when you accept all of that, because there is the shamanic experience, but other experiences you did, for example, in Tibet. Mm -hmm. And the syncretism of all those experiences, what is the impact on your own personal value system? Okay, I would like to ask that question to you, since you're a diplomat, and this is basically what you have done for a very long time. Um, so my father has worked with uh, people all around the world. He's been there for the peace treaty in Colombia for the with the FARC and the guerrillas. He's met Boko Haram. Um, he's been to North Korea. So this is your field and I would like to ask you that question. I should not have asked you the question. <laughs> um, I see two different levels. One is mediation. Those are the examples you gave. And the other one is your own personal value system. I think on mediation, what you need 
is to be neutral, to be as objective as possible, to avoid your own passions. Mm -hmm. And personal interest And too. personal interest. Yeah. And also to avoid putting forward your own representation of the world. Mm -hmm. So you must be completely neutral, listening to all sides, and then try to strike a deal which is acceptable to the various parts. The second part is your own personal value system. And I think it's really by growing in concentric circles. So you may have some convictions. I personally believe in a God which is the main organizer from how a leaf would grow, how an animal would develop out of a cell and become a tiger or a human being. Uh, so it's a system, but it's an extremely sophisticated, extremely intelligent, extremely well-organized system. And I think there is some benevolent forces behind that system. That's my personal mm -hmm. belief. And then around that first circle, I am always interested to look at how in various periods of the world and various geographies of the world, people have elaborate their own beliefs. Mm -hmm. And when I think there is something which is compatible with that, I let it come as the next mm -hmm. level uh, around my core beliefs. And when it is not compatible, I just take note. I remember that those people at that period, at that place, they have thought like that. And I say, it's interesting. Let's see, for the time being, it's not completely compatible with my own value system. But as soon as I see a way to grow my own belief and what gives energy and strength, uh, I would add it. And I'm surprised to see that there are much more common factors and contributing factors than scories being left over. Uh, I agree with what you say, but I also think that many things that you will see through your travels, that you will learn from other cultures and other religions, sometimes you need to give it some time and some space to grow inside of you. And at first, as you said, you just take it, you take note, this is how they think, this is what they believe, it's not serving me. But you realize one year, two years, three years later that it's actually something meaningful that you can incorporate in your life. And also when when you go meet these other cultures, you can it's really hard to completely let go of all your beliefs and completely be neutral. You can try as much as you can, but you will always have your past and your own beliefs and your own things that you really hold a grasp on that will influence the way you see things. But 
Therefore, I think that the more you expose yourself to values that are opposite to yours, the more you expose yourself to things that you don't necessarily agree, the more open-minded you will be. And the more you push the walls. And yeah, and the more you push the walls and just... And I love what you just said about trying to see... Like you have your core beliefs, but then you try to see what other religions have to teach you and you can integrate it. And something I really like about my father and I think is really funny is that we when we travel like we could go to a mosque like in Egypt or in uh, Dubai or we we went to like uh, Jain um, temples in India or we go to these Buddhist um, sanctuaries in the Himalayas and it's all different religions but we can still pray there because we don't care about what form the religion takes because the religion is just a specific form in a specific time, in a specific geographical location. and But in the end, it all comes back to the same thing. So, yeah, this is just something that me and my father really like. We like to travel to discover religions because there's so many treasures and so many things to see about how diverse it can be on our planet, but also how it all goes back to the same thing. And that's also why I went to Colombia, because I wanted to learn more about shamanism. I was... I've been very drawn to shamanism since a couple years and I've studied it a lot but I've only studied it in the academical way by reading books and watching documentaries and all that and then I put a foot inside shamanism by taking ayahuasca and I took ayahuasca twice but I didn't do it in the Amazon in you know, the original setting. And I felt that something was missing because of that. And in this trip in Colombia, I did not do ayahuasca because, you know, it's this kind of psychedelic journey finds you. You're not the one that has to look for it. You don't, I, I mean, that's how I feel things. I'm not saying this is the truth. But I feel that with these psychedelics, they find you and you don't have to plan, okay, I'm going to Colombia because I want to do it. And I felt that, I was much more closer to shamanism just by being in nature and trying to really absorb and feel my environment when I was hiking because when I was hiking alone because there was no one around me and I could just sit and observe and close my eyes and feel and it was teaching me so much more than actually going on a psychedelic trip and, you know, digging deep inside my past and in who I am and all that. I felt the teachings were much more powerful by just being present and being in, in nature. And I was feeling at some points that the earth was talking to me and was telling me things. And the shaman, he did at some point, he did a, he did me an um, energetical cleansing and I laughed because he was like, okay, turn around three times and now look left and look right. And I was like, is this a joke? And I tried to not laugh because it's disrespectful, but it, it looked very cliche of what you think a shamanic ritual would be. But it was really nice. And I was very grateful that he did that. He did that. Um, and he said that he did me that cleansing only because he was paying me back a favor I was doing him by putting him in contact with the Colombian Institute of Anthropology and to bring that message that he wants so desperately the institute and the government to to know about. And that is another big teaching I got from this trip is that in shamanism, 
there's something called el pagamento, which is you have, whenever you're taking something, you have to pay back. You cannot take something to the earth and not give it back. And you also have to ask for permission. You have to ask for permission to the earth. You have to ask for permission to the elderly, to anyone that is above you, higher, hierarchically speaking. And I thought that was very interesting that I could have these insights on shamanism, not by reading a book, but by seeing how a shaman is going through his everyday life. It's very interesting. Uh, not using psychedelic substance and going in your own past means also less egocentric trip and more nature-centric. And I think it's a probably higher level of awareness. Um, then you have that implicit acceptance of lower levels and higher levels. Mm -hmm. In India, in the caste system, which is good and bad aspects, the levels are defined by the purity and not by, for example, the money. And implicitly, anybody who is more pure in the soul is considered as deserving a high level of respect. How in shamanism is that implicit hierarchy mm -hmm. be established and accepted by the whole community? Okay. Um, so in shamanism, you become the tribe chief and the main shaman because your father was. So it's for, it's you have the lineage and you have these ancestral teachings that are thought from the father to their son, to their son, to their son, to their son. And so when the shaman's son is born, he's being initiated since a really young age on how to become a shaman. And it starts by how to become a healer, how to become a doctor. It starts by how to recognize the plants, how to make the beverages with the plants and what each plant is going to be useful to heal what specific aspect of the body and of the mind. And after that, they're thought how to, and for that, and I think it's interesting that they need to use psychedelics for it. They need to use psychedelics and to be taught how to heal things in other dimensions in other spiritual realms and for me that i have taken ayahuasca i now really believe and i would even say i know that there are different realms there are different dimensions that we can have access to for instance in in buddhism or in hinduism they would be much more drawn to meditation and they will tell you that meditation is what's going to bring you there there's a lot of um tibetan monks they develop very um how do you call that like le sixième sens psychic psych yeah they they develop psychic powers purely by meditation and in shamanism they use a lot of psychedelic beverages but they also do meditate a lot and Something I found really interesting is the shaman told me that they only speak the bare minimum. With their family, they only communicate what is the most essential. They would never have a chat or laugh or they would only be like, um, 
we need to clean this part of the house, we need to get this food, and that's it. And they really stick to speaking what is really essential. And I think that's nice. I think that's really nice. And they spend a lot of time sitting outside with something called poporo. And it's... I, I really don't know how to describe it. I'm sorry. It's just an uh, an object they have. And they're... Um, font ça. Rub it. And yeah, and they're rubbing a piece of wood on it. And they're just like praying and meditating. And by doing this movement, the shaman told me that when you repeat a movement, it helps you to go back to a teaching you got to remember that teaching so there's also this pattern of repetition in shamanism that is really important and also silence and slowing down things being aware of your environment being aware of what you're taking and what you're giving back to the earth when you die what happens after i, I have no idea that is a question that i really wanted to ask but that i couldn't ask because i had a had very short time there and we couldn't go that much in depth um the only shaman with who i could have like a long conversation was fabian the one i mentioned mentioned before that did studies and that comes from the amazon because he has a he speaks really good spanish whereas the other shamans and especially el mamo he speaks spanish to a certain extent and they they have their own language they're the kogi tribe and they speak kogi And his Spanish is like very simple and something that I learned with the El Mamo and also that I found very attendrissant, it was very cute to do it, is that you need to speak to him, you need to go straight to the point and you need to be very simple, as simple as you can in your questions. Because I asked him about a vision I had on ayahuasca and all right, my vision was very abstract, so his answer was also very abstract and he started talking about like different planets and then he started talking about like female sex and masculine sex and he was i think he was just trying to give me this answer about the origin of the universe but it's just we live on different dimensions like this man is he is constantly on another level of consciousness implicit what is, what does that mean implicit as opposed to explicit yeah yeah and so it was just hard to communicate with el mamo because we just live in different worlds and it's not we don't use the same language and when i say the same language i'm not speaking i'm not talking about spanish because we do speak spanish but we speak a different language in our minds and in our hearts and that's okay and i had a little bit of frustration with that because i went to colombia with this intention of staying into that perdida for a week and filming the shamans and asking them like a whole lot of questions to know a lot about shamanism and i just realized that that was not what my trip was supposed to be i went there to help them and to help them communicate with the ikan and i went there to film more of nature rather than film about them and the biggest lesson i got for myself was what one of the shamans told me is se aprenden conciencia, which means you learn by being aware, you learn by being present. Because I was, I just had this urge that I need to film, I need to film, I need to record. And I asked at some point the shaman if I could do that, and he was like, I mean, yes, you can, but the real way to learn is by truly listening with all your heart and all your mind to what I'm telling you, so that it makes like a deeper impression inside of you. And then you can reinterpret it as you feel it.